0: I'd like to uh, thank you again for letting us have the opportunity to come and preach. It's um, it's a rare privilege, but we do uh, get a lot out of it. So thank you very much for the opportunity. As a rule, Christians generally love their little greetings. Uh, They're fun, they're easy. They give us a chance to get up and have a bit of a stretch in a Sunday morning service. Uh, Get to hide the fact that we stayed up and had a late night on Saturday night. Uh, For example, some of these things you might hear passing around different Christian circles might be things like, peace be with you which you'd get the reply and also a few. Other things you might be hearing would be things along the lines of, God bless you. Now, if you happen to have not just sneezed, you probably reply by saying, God bless you too. And I'm sure we're all familiar to some degree with the saying, I love you. Now, if you're the one saying this, you'd hope that the recipient knows that the correct answer is, I love you too. And we love these sayings because they're nice and they're easy. They roll off the tongue really nicely. You might even say something like, the Lord be with you. Or you might even like to quote scripture. You might say something along the lines of, may the peace of God that transpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now you probably wouldn't say that one because it's rather long and complicated. And to tell you the truth, it's not true all the time. And the reason for that is I haven't given it to you in context. In fact, I haven't even given you the whole verse on that one. And the reason for that is because there's more to these verses than just what we say. They take a lot of effort to make sure that what we say doesn't become just some routine, but our reality. For example, peace be with you. Well, peace is a very fragile thing. It often takes people to work hard to tolerate each other. You might have to give something up. It comes at a cost. Often, peace is only maintained at the tip of a sword. God is not going to bless everything you do. Not everything we do is good. And love, well, I don't think anyone here would disagree with me when they say that love takes a lot of hard work. When I was thinking about this sermon and writing it, I was reminded of an old 80s movie called The War of the Roses. It's based on a a book by the same name, piece of literature, but this is a comedy and a movie, and that's the one I'm going to focus on. The story is a basic story of a partnership between a man and a woman. Uh, these people were married, and you know, they liked each other at the start, but then they started to, to bicker and quarrel, and that became fighting. This fighting continued, and the spitefulness grew until at the very end, these people are at the point of death, and finally the man realises that he actually loves his wife. So with his dying breath, he takes his hand and he puts it in his wife's hand. And his wife, with her dying breath, takes his hand again and throws it away. Now, the point of this was the comedy was trying to illustrate what happens when people decide not to work together in order to get along. Both parties wanted their own thing, and it destroyed them both. Today we have a glimpse of another war of the roses, and it's going on in Philippians. The roses in our story, though, are Iodia and Syntyche. In the movie, Danny DeVito plays a friend of the couple, who later becomes a marriage counsellor and uses the example of this married couple to illustrate to his clients what happens when people don't get along. Today, in Philippians chapter 4, the part of the counsellor is played by Paul. And the counselling session is chapter 4 to us. And what is Paul trying to counsel us? He's trying to say that we need to be united in Christ. See, Euodia and Syntyche weren't a married couple. They were people who were coupled to Christ they were brothers and sisters in Christ, in this case, sisters. And these are the people who were bickering together. Now, Paul's a good counsellor, so he gives us a bit of a guide on how we are to be united in Christ. And that is, we need to stand together in the Gospel. And we do this by putting our trust in Christ and practising purity. So as we have a look at how Paul pulls this together, his first point, standing together in the Gospel, we see this... Starting to come out in the very start of verse 2. Verse 2 says, I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Paul wasn't wasting any time here, he was straight to the point. With the Philippians, he's saying, I have heard how you are arguing over matters of doctrine, and I'm pleading with you to agree with each other. What is he asking them to agree to? Well, he's asking them to agree in the Lord. Christ is the key. And these ladies, are fighting, these ladies are fighting over how to live out the Christian life. How do they do it? And Paul's saying, it's not important. Get over it. What you need to be doing is agreeing in the Lord. He wants them to be united in the Lord because it's the Lord that saves and not how you live out your Christian life that's important. But there's more to this point than just getting along with the brothers and sisters in Christ, isn't there? Paul is making... A much bigger point, and we see this as it comes out in verse 3, that it's not just to get along with your brothers and sisters, but it's our responsibility as a church to make sure that they do. As we go into verse 3, it says, Yet I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have laboured side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. He's talking about Christians, a community of Christians, and he's saying, it's your responsibility too to make sure these people are getting along. Too often we think it's not our problem that we don't have to get involved in. But Paul makes it very clear here that it is our responsibility. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. The charge of the church is to be working together to keep the focus on Christ. Now, it sounds easy when you say it like that, but it's not so simple. Or is it? In our towns and our communities, we have many denominations. There's always different ways of worshipping our Lord Christ. Even within our own congregations, we'll always find something to disagree on. The trick is, quite often we want to play this game called, who is the greatest and who is the least? But we just need to remind ourselves that when the apostles played that game, they got it very wrong. So what does it mean for us then? Well, it means that we need to keep the focus on what we are certain on. And what is most important, and that is that what God has done for us, and not what we do. No one will ever be saved by baptism, by taking the Lord's Supper, by speaking in tongues, or by knowing your Bible very well. It's not that, it's what Christ has done for us. By taking God's wrath against us upon himself, that we might be reconciled to God. It's in understanding this that we become Christians. This is what we need to be focusing on as a community, as Christians. It's what we need to be telling the world so that they too can come to the same understanding we have and make themselves into a right relationship with God. Not make themselves, but come into a right relationship with God. Many times I've heard people say to me, from my family, my friends, and people I meet on the street, why are there so many different churches Sad to say, most people I meet at university and friends, they've got this mindset that Christians are divided. And sometimes I find it easy to agree with them, and I forget that it was Christ who set me free. Paul is telling us we need to do better. We need to let the world see that we are not divided by a method of worship, but we are united by a loving God who has called us into his kingdom. Paul is saying that we need to show others what's really important, and we do this by serving each other and being humble. Love and serve Christ as fellow partners in Christ. Remember, it's Paul as he entreats us. Agree in the Lord. So let us stand together in the Gospel. Now, as I said before, Paul's a good counsellor, and he helps us to do this by the next few verses. So the first point he wanted to bring to add to that, to help us to get the right mindset to do this, is to put our trust in him. Now, wise old trook told me once that you can preach great amounts of information if you boil it right. And that's exactly what Paul is doing in verses 4 to 7. He's saying, put your trust in Christ. So let's pick at the pieces and see how he does this. Rejoice in the Lord, let your reasonableness be known to all. Again, Paul is building on the same theme of keeping Christ as the focus and being glad to in it but this time he is particularly emphasising the fact that Christ is returning to judge. The Lord is at hand, he wants the Philippians to know. He wants them to remember that they are not their own. They are not free to behave the way they want to. They are actually a part of the body of Christ, representing him, and they ought to behave in such a way that honours this. Now this is where the rubber hits the road, because being reasonable, as the passage would put it, is very often hard to do. Life has plenty of hardships for us. People will challenge you from outside and inside the church. Even life, all its demands, will have us, at times, in a great deal of need. The temptation is not to get stressed. This is probably going to happen uh, no matter how well you deal with stress. The temptation is to think that we can deal with it on our own. What we need to be doing, Paul is telling us, is to deal with it appropriately. And that is to give it to God. And we read this in the rest of the verse. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The result of that is that he will give you peace. Now think about that for a second. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now Paul was speaking to a Roman colony. These people knew what it meant to be guarded. They were surrounded by walls and guards, a garrison of soldiers. The image that Paul was trying to give to them was a serious security image. He was telling them that when they put their trust in him, he would guard their hearts and minds. So put your trust in him. Let your rejoicing and your thankfulness be genuine. Let your reasonable let your reasonable be reasonable with your brothers and sisters. Work hard to be united together. In all things whether they are hard and you are anxious or not, show that you trust God. Put it all in prayer. Give it to your Father first. Put your trust in him. This is Paul's first thing he's saying that will help you when you're trying to get along with your brothers, to be united. The second one was to practice purity. Now, your step to unite with others in this. Before I go into it much, I've got a question for you just to ponder in your heads as you're thinking about it. I want you to think about what you associate with the word pure. What do you think is the big idea of the word pure? Now, when I was thinking about this, I come from an engineering background, so I was naturally thinking of purifying metals. How they'd boil the metal in its raw ore until all the purities would surface and they'd scrape it off and there'd be no impurities left in the metal. It would be 100%, rigid edge, unblemished, perfect. And this is the same idea that Paul is giving us. saying the way to reach our fellow Christians is to be that reasonable Christian. The one uniting people together. But to do this, you need to be walking the walk and talking the talk. You need to be practising that purity. Now, it's a beautiful passage in verses 8 and 9, isn't it? Why? Because there's nothing really bad in it. There's no, it's, it's kind of like that cheesy Hollywood romance or a, a midday family special. In fact, it's even better than that because there's no adversary to overcome. There's no evil to endure. There's no envy, there's no wickedness, there's no sin. This is precisely why Paul writes this passage. Paul is saying that if you want to be without sin, if you really want to be that reasonable Christian, if you want to be the kind of person who is uniting Christians together, then you need to be focusing on that picture of perfection and making it your reality. Now, if you want to, track back with me. In chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, Paul writes, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul says, if you want to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, then you better start acting like you want to be there. Get rid of the works, get rid of the deeds. Don't focus on being the boss. Rather, be the butler. Let your way be of service and goodness. Be pure and blameless before God and for God. Paul says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Paul is asking you to practice purity. Isn't it interesting that when we endeavor to live pure lives, the God of peace is with us? And when we put our trust in him, his peace is with us. So as we look back at a glance at the big picture, it's about living lives worthy of the gospel, isn't it? Back in chapter 1, verse 27, we read, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, So that whether I come and see you, or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striding side by side for the faith. As we look at this final chapter of Philippians, Paul has one final message for his readers, and it relates to the whole mood of his letter. Unlike many of his other letters that contain strong rebuke and correction, Paul's letter to the Philippians is much more affectionate. At the start of the letter, Paul thanks God for the partnership with the Philippians in his prayer. Now, at the end of the letter, he is thanking the Philippians personally for their partnership. We read in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 4, Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that at the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in the giving and receiving except only you. The Philippian churches were actively involved in working with Paul to support and further his ministry of taking the good news of Jesus Christ to all the Gentiles. They supported him with giving for the physical needs of his ministry, not just a collection like we see in some of Paul's letters. The Philippians gave support without being asked, and they gave it repeatedly. Even sent their own church members to work with him in ministry not to mention that they already hold fast to their own faith, struggling, as we hear, as Paul struggled right where they were. The Philippians valued the work of the gospel, and we can see it in Paul's account of them. In verse 17 he says he seeks the fruit that would increase to their credit. In verse 18 he talks about them giving offerings at a fragrant offering to God. Paul's praise is not for what he has received, he makes that very clear, but for what their maturity and love is produced. It seems that when we love God and all his children, it brings us peace and unity. <laughs> so when we catch up with other Christians, hold on to the thought of putting your trust in God and practicing purity in all that you do, so that as a body of believers, in whatever situation, we are able to stand firm in the gospel. In the book of Philippians, we have seen great partnership between the, church and, between the church and Paul. A relationship of giving to each other, as we have seen, not just some religious commitment. It's not just a tick-box moment on the road to eternity. It's not just a demand that's been put on them to make the grade to enter eternity. Now, this was a deep, deep affection. They had this affection for each other, and it surpassed the giving of material... Uh, possessions. these people gave of their very selves again and again, even when it demanded everything from them. And we see this in the dedication of Epaphroditus, as we've seen. They were passionate for the care and growth of each other. Both Paul to the Philippians and the Philippians to Paul. Remember to ask yourselves often, do I share this passion? Am I investing physically and spiritually into the needs of my brothers and sisters in Christ? Chapter 4, verse 18, tells us that our giving is an offering to God, something that brings him joy, an acceptable offering back to him. Are you caring for God's family? Remember, you will be spending eternity with God and your brothers and sisters in Christ. Are you acting like this is your joy? As Paul finishes his letter, he finishes it with greetings from the saints with him. But Paul also puts in one final call for one final call for unity, asking the Philippians to greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. As we leave here today, let us consider how we do the same, standing firm in one spirit for the gospel with one mind, putting putting our trust in Christ and practicing purity that we may may be able to strive side by side for the faith. Let us pray that he will help us do that. Uh, Father God, we thank you that uh, you're an almighty God, that you sent your son that we might know salvation, that we might know you and have a right relationship with you. Help us to keep this as the thing that keeps us united as Christians, the fact that you have brought us into your kingdom. Uh, we, as uh, Philippians talks about uh, growing in knowledge and discernment, we pray, Lord, that you do help us to do that. But We pray, Lord, that we will be reasonable people, that we will get along for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of building up our brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us to be united, one family. As we go away, we pray, Lord, that you write this on our hearts, that you help us to be motivated for you and your gospel. Help us to have a great love for our brethren. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.